this is Ryan Pauly, and you're listening to Coffee House Questions. Thank you so much for joining me in our conversation today. We are going to be talking about something I think is one of the most fundamental principles that you can learn when doing evangelism and apologetics and sharing the truth with other people, and that is understanding the worldview issues behind the person's argument. It's something I kind of have briefly touched on, I think, throughout many different shows, but I don't know if I've actually devoted a whole show to it or if I have. It's been a while, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, putting out the show a couple days late this week because it has been busy but so much fun. Over the last week, I have given nine different talks. On Wednesday of last week, I had an atheist role play, and then Friday night, I I gave the talk, uh, Everyone Has to Start Somewhere. Saturday morning, Is Jesus the Only Way? Saturday night, Why Does God Allow Evil? Sunday morning, The Resurrection, Real or Real Dumb? And then on Wednesday of this last week, in the morning, uh, Relativism, How Relativism Undermines Your Student's Faith in Christ, and Are You Intelligently Designed? Is the New Testament reliable? And then finally, an open Q&A Wednesday afternoon. And so I got back from Hume Lake on Thursday, rested a little bit on Friday, and here we are. Well, no, it's Friday. Ah. And uh, now I'm losing track of my day. So it has been fun. Uh, I have two days off, and then on Sunday morning, I leave, uh, and I'm flying out to Salt Lake City, meeting a team. Uh, they're a team of about eight, and we are going to be doing ministry and evangelism in Salt Lake City and Provo at BYU for about six days. And let me just take a second and tell you about these trips if you have not heard of them uh, before. MAVEN is an organization founded by Brett Kunkel. And one aspect of MAVEN, one thing that MAVEN does is it does these immersive experiences where we take students to to Salt Lake City, to Utah. We train them in theology and Mormonism. Another trip is uh, we take them up to Berkeley or San Francisco, California, train them in philosophy and apologetics. There's also the Worldview mission trip. And these are some of the best, most unique incredible experiences for students to to get in the game, to to share their faith, to learn how to evangelize. And so this coming week uh, in Utah, we're going to be doing trainings uh, with some experts that live in Utah that work with Mormons on a daily basis. They're going to be helping us understand different aspects of Mormonism. We're also going to be going on to Temple Square about three or four different times to be able to talk with missionaries, to go on their tours, to learn what they teach, what they believe. Uh, but one of the coolest aspects is that we're going to be going down to Brigham Young University, BYU you and talking with students where we go into the cafeteria by lunch and sit down and talk with these students. They say, hey, I'm here in the area. I'm studying religion, studying the LDS faith. And can I sit down and eat lunch with you and ask some questions? And and they're very open to it. Uh, and you talk as long as they want to talk and they leave. You go sit down with someone else. And, and then we also go into the neighborhoods around BYU and uh, talk with the students there. And what's really cool is that most of them have been on their missions. And so uh, they are very welcoming to someone knocking on their door because they have probably done it to many people before. And so such incredible opportunities. And I loved that I uh, get the chance to be a part of it. And so next week's show, I'll actually be in Utah, but I'm probably going to pre-record something and have it post uh, talking about uh, Mormonism and kind of the, the fundamental Mormon beliefs uh, that we've kind of gone over in a couple shows and my interviews with Eric Johnson, but kind of touch on a few different aspects. And so uh, that's what's kind of coming up in the schedule. Uh, so it's been fun. Uh, really busy, but I'm looking forward uh, to this next trip and, and what's going to be happening next week with these students and just seeing the confidence grow and build in them. 
So as we jump into the show, I, I, I again want to remind you, as I always do, of ways that you can interact. I, I love the interaction. Last week's episode was fun, being able to answer some listener questions uh, from Instagram. But these are ways for you to see what I'm doing, to interact, to ask those questions, to to uh, talk and ask questions to scholars that are going to be on the show. And so uh, all of that information, all the different ways you can contact me, one is email contact at coffeehousequestions.com. You can go to Facebook, facebook.com slash coffeehousequestions, uh, Twitter or Instagram at ryanpolly3 or text message 714-989-6927. Um, also, I would just encourage you uh, to be following on one of those forms or to be going to coffeehousequestions.com because uh, I have recorded about four talks plus uh, long segments of Q&A over the last week uh, with students. And those will be going up on the YouTube channel uh, periodically. And so I will be releasing some of those videos. And so those are ways that you can kind of see those talks that I just talked about that I gave to the students over the last week and uh, see what they're learning and and maybe have me come out to your church, your group, uh, and do some training as well. And so just encourage you guys to follow and uh, offer your responses, your feedback. I love to hear back from you guys. And so over the last week, um, I had a lot of conversations with students. I gave a lot of different talks. And there's one kind of fundamental idea, is, and that is, is that our worldview, the way we see the world is going to shape how we view information. We, we want to assume that we all come into uh, looking at the world without a bias, that we're unbiased people, uh, but that's not true. Now, on the other end of the spectrum is the postmodern worldview, which says that everything is biased and that actually you can't get past your bias. Your bias just so completely clouds your judgment that all you have is your own personal bias and there's no way you can know if really that you're true or not. And so everyone just has their own perception of truth. I obviously think that's way too far, but I don't go to the other side and say that no one has a bias. We all have a bias. We all have a way that we see the world. And one talk that I give in what's called What's Your Bias is trying to understand this idea and say, look, having a bias is not bad. We all have it. The question is whether do you recognize that you have one or not. If you are approaching a topic and you go, no, I'm not biased. I I don't see anything differently. That's often going to lead you to much different conclusions or your bias is going to cloud your judgment. Then if you say, yes, I understand I have a bias towards this. I'm going to take that into perspective. I'm going to understand that's there and I'm going to do my best I can to remove it or be aware of it so that I can look at this fairly. And so we have to be aware that, look, having a bias is not bad, but our bias is going to change how we see things. And I'm sure you guys have all been aware of this at some point where someone has told you a fact or someone has you know, explained something to you or they told you a story about something they did. And your first thought is that can't be true. Now, this happens to me all the time. I say that I'm a very skeptical person. Often people tell me something. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe it because I hold to a world where you know, I hold to a view of the world where I say, yeah, that's that's impossible. Those things don't happen. And I have to be aware of this and go, okay, you know, that sounds very crazy, but now let me start to ask some questions. And there's some questions that are so important, not for not just for understanding where your bias, what your bias is, but also for understanding what other person's bias is and trying to get to the bottom of it. And so I'm sure that we all have that time in our life where we've heard someone say something, we immediately think that can't be true. Because our view of the world, our perception of reality kind of eliminated that as a possibility before we even looked at what the evidence is. Hopefully, maybe our first thought is this can't be true. Hopefully, our next thought is, okay, now what is some evidence for this? What evidence do they have? 
Now, how this kind of comes into relationships and how this comes into uh, some of the talks and the, the issues that we deal with. Now, a couple last week, I talked about the abortion issue, right? That the question behind abortion is, what is the unborn? And oftentimes people come to the conversation with their mind already made up that the unborn is not human, is not valuable. Therefore, what's wrong with it? Or the unborn is valuable, is human. Therefore, nothing uh, can be said to justify abortion. The question that we have to come back to is, what is the unborn? What is the evidence saying? We should be open to that. The next question that we looked at was the topic of marriage, where we said, okay, what is marriage? Is marriage like gravity or is it like monopoly? Is it invented by us and we can do whatever we want? Or is it discovered by us and it's something that we can't just change? How you view that, your worldview is going to change it. right? The Christian worldview is going to say, that God is the creator, that he instilled this institution of marriage, and he has designed it from the very beginning where he put Adam and Eve together and said, you'll leave your mother and father, become one flesh. That's going to be very different than someone who holds to a secular worldview. This says that this is an institution, this is just something that we have created, right? Your worldview is going to shape and change how you view these topics. Other issues that this came up with, and this is uh, Frequently, the questions I get from students is they say, what about evolution? Why would someone believe in evolution? And in my evolution talk, and there's a video of this, I can post it in the show notes. There's a video of my uh, part of my talk on evolution, the tactical approach to evolution, is I talk about bias because this is so important. And it's this idea of, look, if God doesn't exist, then of course we evolved. Of course, something like evolution has to be true. But if God does exist, then creation now becomes a possibility. That option is on the table. And so oftentimes when I teach on the topic of evolution and creation, I often teach a series of questions. And I think these series of questions are, can be, should go along with everything. And it comes from the book Tactics by Greg Kokel, where first you have to define what you're talking about. What do you mean by evolution? What do you mean by the unborn, right? We're trying to figure out what are, what, how are they defining this? And it's possible that their definition is, is different. When I go to Utah, there's going to be a lot of <laughs> defining terms. What do you mean by Jesus? Their view of Jesus is very different. What do you mean by salvation? What do you mean by son of God, right? There's, we have to get back to definitions and realize that someone's worldview is going to change the very definition of the word that you're talking about. So you have to get back down to, to the basics, right? What are you talking about? The second question is, how did you come to that conclusion? Now you're looking for evidence. Okay, you believe that Darwinian evolution is true. What is the what evidence do you have for it? And I hope that we are open to the evidence. And let me stop here and add something else. I think that the Christian worldview is the most open, or at least should be the most open. The Christianity is a testable religion. I just gave my talk on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 is where Paul writes, look, if there is no resurrection, go eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection, your faith is in vain, you're still in your sins, you're misrepresenting God, and you are all, you of all are the most to be pitied. Right? It's this idea that, look, this is a, an event, a historical event, the resurrection of Jesus. It is testable. If he did not rise from the dead, there is no resurrection. And just go out and have fun. You're wasting your time in Christianity. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then there is a resurrection. Jesus claimed to be God, rose himself from the dead. He is God, confirms his deity, and Christianity is something that we should trust and follow.
And so what I often will say is I think that the Christian worldview is the most open in the sense that I want to follow the truth. Look, if this is not truth, I'm okay leaving it. Now, oftentimes people say this, but the but I, we really have to get down to do they really believe it? And there are Christians that will say, oh, yeah, if it wasn't true, I would leave it. But what could really convince you otherwise? And this, these are conversations I have often with people. And I've had this conversation with non-Christians. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And they say, no. No, I, I wouldn't want to follow a God like that. Or I would have to change the way I'm living if I admit that God exists. Right? They understand that admitting the Christian view changes uh, or would change their life, or they would have to change the things they're doing, and they're not willing to do it. Again, talking with Mormons. If Joseph Smith was a false prophet, would you stop being a Mormon? And oftentimes it's, no, I have a feeling. Right? Sometimes we're so invested, and Christians are the same way. Sometimes we are so invested, we're not actually open and willing to evaluate the evidence. We just hold on to the view that we've been taught. And I want to encourage you. We should be people who are open to evidence. We should not be scared of the truth because it's plain and simple. If Jesus is the truth, then we can seek after the truth. We can pursue what is true and we don't have to be afraid because we know it's going to come back to Jesus. If Jesus is not the truth, then I don't want to follow him. It's a lie. It's made up. I'm wasting my time. I should be pitied. And so I should have no problem opening up, looking at all the possible explanations, looking at the evidence, and genuinely seeking after the truth. Because if he is true, I want to follow him. If he's not, I'm going to go find what is true. And so I shouldn't have to worry about that. And so the second question is, well, how did you come to that conclusion? What is the evidence? And this is hopefully where we can openly evaluate the evidence. Now, the third question I think is so critical, and it's the question of, have you considered blank? And oftentimes, when it comes to the topic of evolution, I teach students to ask the question, have you considered that, for example, similar bone structures, homology, could be the result of an intelligent designer or common creator as well as a common ancestor? Or uh, similarity in DNA, have you considered that similar DNA could be the result of a common creator rather than a common ancestor? And what this is going to hopefully do is this is hopefully going to put both options on the table. We have a common creator and we have common ancestor. Has the person you're talking to evaluated the evidence with both of these options on the table and they think the evidence points to common ancestor? Or has their worldview eliminated common creator from the, off the table? They're only left with common ancestor. Therefore, the evidence has to point to that option. Because I think when you look at the fine-tuning of the universe, when you look at the information in DNA, when you look at the privileged planet and how everything has to be just perfect for us to exist, when you look at similar structures like the bacterial flagellum uh, resembling a rotary engine that we know is designed, when you look at these differences, uh, these different areas of our world, I think that they cry out design. Right? And that's what leads people to say, man, when you look at the world, man, it sure looks designed, but it's not. And so the question is, is, man, if they're crying out design, is design really, is it the better explanation? And I think that when you have both options on the table, it really is. And so I often, you know, say, and I, and I learned this, I think, from Sean McDowell of, you know, evolution. It's kind of like asking someone, what's two plus two, but you can't say four. Three and five start looking really good because they're the next best answer. But the question is, did you eliminate, possibly eliminate the correct answer, four? 
And so the question is, is where did we all come from? You can't say God. That's eliminating one possible explanation, one possible answer that could be the right answer. And so we have to take a step back and say, wait, why are we eliminating some possible explanation? Let's put both of them on the table. Is it God or is it evolution? Do we have a common ancestor or a common creator? Let's look at the evidence and let's see which one makes the most sense. The same is true when it comes to the abortion debate. Is it a human being or is it not a human being? Let's look at the evidence and see which one makes the most sense rather than coming to our conclusion before looking at the evidence. Another talk that this came up in is my talk on the resurrection. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Look, I think the main reason why someone would reject the resurrection is that they believe that the supernatural is not possible. They do not hold to the possibility of miracles and supernatural explanations. And it's obvious if God doesn't exist, then yeah, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The resurrection requires a supernatural explanation. It's an extreme event that it requires a cause that matches it. And I love the example that Sean McDowell gives. I just saw him give his talk on the resurrection this last week up at Hume Lake as well. And he gave the example. He said, look, if I go outside and uh, I go up to my car and there's a huge dent in my car and someone comes and says, hey, I saw it all happen. I can tell you what happened to your car. There's this massive dent in your car because this bird flew over and a feather came off the bird, floated down and hit your car. He goes, immediately, I'm not going to believe you. Because for the event of this massive dent happening in my car, you're going to need a sufficient cause, a cause big enough to make that dent, right? A human being riding a bicycle into the side or another car hitting it or something like that. You need a cause that is sufficient for the event. And so a resurrection is a big event. And so you need a sufficient cause, which is a supernatural explanation. But again, if the supernatural doesn't exist, if God doesn't exist, resurrections are not possible. However, if you leave that as a possibility, if you leave it open to it could be God, it could be a miracle, God could have raised Jesus from the dead, or he didn't, and then you look at the evidence. You look at the fact that Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. You look at the empty tomb. You look that the disciples uh, thought that they experienced uh, visions of Jesus, or that they thought they, that they saw him. Uh, they believed that they saw Jesus, that he appeared to them. And finally, that uh, their lives were changed. Paul's life, the life of James, life of the disciples, that their lives were changed. The best explanation is that he rose from the dead when you have both options on the table. And so I think this helps us understand, and this goes into so many different issues. Is Jesus the only way? Well, if he's a possible option, then when you look at all the different options that are presented, he really does make the most sense. Why would God allow evil? Right? These sort of questions. Is the New Testament really the word of God? Oftentimes we, we start with the assumption it's not the word of God. And then we try to argue from there. Therefore, these th- sort of things happen. But when you look at the evidence, if that is an option, it really does make the most sense that God is the author of Scripture, that the New Testament is reliable, and that God is speaking to us. This is why I love teaching worldview. Students are constantly trying to, to answer these questions. They're constantly trying to respond to objections in the culture around them, questions on immigration or LGBT issues or abortion or 
whatever you can think of, all the different things that they struggle with. But oftentimes, if we do not take a step back, if we do not look at worldview differences, if we don't try to understand the assumptions and try to understand the presuppositions that people have when they come to the conversation, then oftentimes we get stuck uh, talking past each other, not understanding each other. If, if I don't realize that the person sitting across the table from me holds to a naturalistic worldview, holds to the fact that miracles are not possible, that God doesn't exist, uh, and I do, and we're simply just talking about the evidence. Well, we can explain a bunch of evidence, but he's always going to find a different explanation because my explanation is not even on the table. And so hopefully when you're getting into these conversations, you're trying to put options back on the table. You're, you're trying to help someone say, look, this is an option. And now Christians do the same thing. I'm not saying that Christians are always the most open-minded. Christians do the same thing. I had a conversation about the Big Bang and about creation. Now, personally, I believe that the Big Bang happened. I, I think that the Big Bang cosmology is the best explanation for how our universe came into existence. But as Greg Kokel says, I believe in the Big Bang. I just know who banged it, right? The, the Big Bang is simply the beginning of the universe into the expansion of our universe, right? It's just talking about uh, our universe is expanding. You, you reverse that back in a point. You have the singularity. It goes back to an infinitely dense point where everything started, right? That's kind of our, our very basic description of, of, of it. Now, Big Bang, as we've talked about before, is not connected to evolutionary biology. Those are two separate things. One's the origin of our universe and one is the origin of life. You don't have to hold to both. You can believe in the Big Bang and not evolution. But oftentimes I find a Christian or someone who will say, well, no, but God created the universe. And I said, well, yeah, I agree with you. So it's not the Big Bang. Well, do you have to separate those things? Well, yeah, because God did it. Okay. And they'll say, well, it didn't, it didn't just come into existence. And, and you know, the, that's not how these planets formed. Uh, God spoke it into existence. I go, okay, I agree with you. That's what the Bible talks about, that God said, let there be light and there was light. But does it say the process by which it happened? Well, no, the Bible is not clear, right? We often have this assumption that things kind of just appeared out of nowhere. Now, could God have done that? Absolutely. But I looked back and I tried to help with this student understand. And I looked at the miracles of Jesus and I said, could, you know, there's times where Jesus just said, hey, stand up and walk. And the person stood up and walked. It was like a snap of the finger. Your sins are forgiven. Stand up and walk. They got up. They were healed. But then I think about the turning the water into wine. He used water and turned it into wine. Not, he did not just make wine appear out of nothing. I think about one, you know, healing of the blind man, you know, spitting in the dirt, making mud, wiping it on his face. This idea of using physical substance. I think about even in the creation event that it says that God made Adam out of the dust of the ground, that God made Eve out of what Adam's side, right? This idea that sometimes God speaks and things happen because he has the power. Other times, God uses something physical in the world in order to do a miracle. And I don't think that you have to say God only speaks or God only can use the physical world. We obviously see examples of both. And so when I look at the beginning of our universe, I say, look, the scripture doesn't say, boom, it appeared out of nowhere. It just says, he said, let there be light. And there was. Now, what process did that take? Well, I think the Big Bang accurately describes it. I think that, look, you know, I, and I think I've told this before. I, I was once working at 
rethink at the resource table at the rethink student apologetics conference and a lady came up and said i'm looking for a book that will refute my neighbor who believes that the moon was caused by like a, a meteor uh, striking the earth and i said well i don't know if you have to refute that because i know some smart christians who believe that's how the earth uh, the moon was formed but here's the thing that meteor had to strike the earth at the right angle at the right speed at the right distance at the you know hit the atmosphere in the right way the gravity had to be the right amount to have the the uh the debris from earth fly out at the right amount to then come together to form the moon at the right distance and there's just so many fine-tuned aspects that even if that's how it happened it had to be guided by an intelligence. And it's kind of like saying, yeah, this chair came together because the screw went in there and this board was connected to that beam and then the pad was put on and then the staple gun, you know, it's like, but there had to be some sort of intelligence behind it, right? Those things don't just happen by accident. And so I think oftentimes as well, <clears throat> we can look at the beginning of the universe and we can say, well, no, it's just, this is just how it happened. This is just how I was told. It came in seven days or it came in billions of years or it's evolution or it's this. And oftentimes we're not even looking at the evidence. And so I want to encourage you and say, look, we do this. Christians do this. Non-Christians do this. It's common. We've grown up believing something. We maybe don't want to be shown that we're wrong. We don't want to admit maybe that we've believed something that's wrong for a long time. Whatever it is, I don't know. It's different from person to person. And so hopefully we can take a step back and we can say, okay, let's have a conversation. Okay, what do you mean by this word? Let's make sure we're talking about the same thing. And now what is the evidence? And hopefully we are sitting there and we have both options on the table. Okay, God created our universe. Hey, maybe he spoke everything into existence and then there were some kind of the gravitational pulls and, you know, uh, uh, supernovas sending out um, dense material into our universe and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know. Things that are often way beyond my understanding, but how our universe came into existence. Maybe he spoke it and poof, it popped into existence. Uh, there's lots of different ways, but hey, let's put both options on the table. Let's see which one makes the most sense based on the evidence. The same thing is true with abortion. Let's have both options on the table. Let's look at the evidence and see what makes the most sense. Hey, if the unborn is not a human being, okay, no justification is necessary. If the unborn is a human being, no justification is adequate. What about marriage? What about rights? What about these things? Everything in our culture, someone is approaching that conversation with an idea, with their worldview, shaping how they see that object. And so hopefully, as we have that conversation, we can uncover and maybe for the first time help them see how their worldview is shaping how they see it. And that's by asking that third question. Have you considered? Have you considered that the unborn is a human? And is that going to change maybe your view on aversion? Have you considered that marriage is more like gravity or is like gravity where it's something that we've discovered that we can't change? Have you considered that God is a creator? Have you considered common creator versus common ancestor, right? Some of these are the questions that we can ask to try to bring up the worldview difference, to try to help someone see maybe they've eliminated an option before they've even looked at the possibilities. And so the final good question I'm going to leave you guys with uh, is this, and it kind of can be shifted depending on who you're talking to. If I'm talking to non-Christians, I often will say, hey, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? 
right? This idea, are they actually seeking after the truth or do they have kind of a bias or a leaning or a different reason or why they're going to go after something else? If you're talking to someone again, if Jesus really rose from the dead, would that change what you think? If I could show that your religion was false, what would you do? If I could show your worldview was false, what would you do? Right? This idea of simply just and, uh, and presenting that. And if they go, well, then I would change. I would believe. I would, you know, it seems like they are open to change. They are open-minded. If they go, well, you could never do that. Well, no, I, it doesn't matter if I could or not. I'm just saying, if I could, what would you do? Would you actually walk away if I could show that what you think is false and see what they think? And hopefully that, that again, can allow you to see their bias, can allow you to see some of the presuppositions that they bring to the table. Well, I hope this has helped you maybe to have some of those conversations to, to venture out and to see the worldview differences behind the conversations that we have almost every single day. If you have anything that you want to add to this conversation, uh, comment on the website, send in your comments and questions at all the different ways I said at the beginning, follow along, see the people I'm going to be interviewing. And I hope that you have an awesome rest of the summer. I'm excited to head out to Salt Lake City next week. I'm sure I will be updating you guys on that when I get back. So sip coffee, think deeply. This is Coffee House Questions with Ryan Pauly. I just won't hesitate to follow your love will guide my